So everybody have a seat. Serious. Early church synagogues had this place called the, uh, the area called the Chief Seats. It's, um, it's kind of like just a good area to sit. And uh, they would give it to the elderly or the place of honor. And so, yeah, if you see somebody standing or anything, I don't think, I think there's extra chairs all over, so it should be fine. But give them the Chief Seat. First Corinthians 16. Um, which, if you have an old uh, blue one like mine, it's 816, and if you have a new one, I don't know, 934, I think it is, so. Or if you have your phone or whatever you want to do. Right. I used to have a problem. I was like, who's getting on their phones right now? Oh, it's because the, the Bible's on there. Okay, if you haven't been here for the last 12 weeks or so, there's we've been um, just studying the letter of 1 Corinthians. And um, I hope that if, if you're just walking into it today, that you're just encouraged um, as I just try and, 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 and tie it together and, and do the last bit. And if you have been here for the last 12 weeks, I just want to encourage you right now to say, steward them well. There's been something in the last few weeks that has um, impacted you or has challenged you, then Write it down or, or, or put a date, attach a date to it and set a goal and, 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 and let's move forwards together with this. Steward the last few weeks in 1 Corinthians well. Let's grow and let's do this. So if you're in 1 Corinthians 16, stand with me for the reading. In the light of the resurrection of the dead in 15... 16.1. Now about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do on the first day of every week. Each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collection will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, I'll accompany them. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I'll stay with you a while, or even spend the winter, so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. I don't want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I'm going to stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door of effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. If Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should refuse to accept him or hold him in contempt. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I'm expecting him along with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos. I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. Hazak. Do everything in love. You know the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Caia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. I urge you, brothers, to submit to such men as these and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you, for they refreshed my spirit and yours. Such men deserve recognition. 
All the churches in the province of Asia send their greetings to you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. All the brothers here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Just kind of like making two little boys that don't like each other hug until, until they're over it. He only says that to churches that, he, that are struggling with that. At least that's how it was in my house. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, let a curse be on him. Come, O Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Have a seat. Just words on a page, Father, unless your grace comes in. And and, and by your grace, you, you light it up to our eyes and our hearts. I, we're just here for you. We're here for, to hear from you, and we're here to speak to you. So encourage mothers and fathers today. Encourage brothers and sisters. Teach us to do hard things. And give us a perspective that, that we're, we're waiting for the resurrection so we can do hard things. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my God, my rock, and my redeemer. Amen. So I really just want to rally everybody up today. Um, This is the final chapter of 1 Corinthians, and it's kind of a little bit different than all of the other ones, if you noticed or not. Um, We have had some of the most rich theological sections over the last few weeks in in the New Testament. And we have seen such a wide variety of things. I don't even know what else you could add to it. We have to approach this chapter a little bit differently than than we have the other ones because it has some different elements. It's not just doctrine. It's not just theology. We have some practical things, and I love it. Because ever since chapter 11, verse 1, where Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ, I've been wanting to see him do something or have something that I can imitate because he's showing me something deeper about Jesus that I can do with my life. Here we get that. It's pretty practical. And I approach it with a little bit of a different heart. I mean, as a kid, I used to like read the end of an epistle. Uh, I probably was being forced to do it in school or something. And I, and I thought, wow, this is super boring. It's probably just, I, I, I thought it was like the credits at the end of a movie. I mean, they've got to be there. But nobody watches that. I mean, if you do, you're just looking for your name somewhere. And you're like, oh, Thompson. Maybe I do that at movies sometimes. I'm like, oh, they have the same last name. It's a common last name. It doesn't really matter. But um, that's what the epistles were for me at the end. Okay, here we are at the end of the same thing. What's going on here? Maybe you think it's kind of just not that important of a chapter. Then I had to check myself and say, this is in the Bible. God knows that this is in the Bible. He didn't just say, oh, man, that slipped in there while Paul was writing. I didn't know. It's there. And I started to approach this type of writing in the end of the epistles a little bit differently. Um, It helps me to just sort of imagine the people, imagine what's going on here, what do they look like, what are they eating, what's their family like, what's going on in their life. 
Maybe I could pop over to Acts 18 where Paul first is, is really in Corinth and, and kind of look at that a little bit. And what, what, is it, what, is, what are they doing? This isn't just people from nowhere that don't really matter and it's just like peppered into the, to the sentences. What, who are these guys? And is there something here that Paul was being intentional with that I can learn from and that I could kind of take a picture away from? I think there is. So in thinking like this, I began to think, who is Paul? We, 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 week after week, we've been talking about the, uh, the context of Corinth and infiltrating the, the church there. And, and every issue that we've seen so far, we've kind of been like explaining that by showing the way that it is in southern Greece and the way that their culture was. And it's kind of been illuminating to some of these problems that we were like, why is that happening? I don't even understand that, right? We haven't talked all that much about Paul. We probably don't have to because he's kind of a big deal and we've probably heard tons about him before, but I started to think, who is Paul? How can I, if I can comprehend a little bit of what he's doing, then I can take this letter and I can steward it in my life well, because there's 15 chapters of things that he's said and I want to go with this grace. I want to take it with me. What is something that I can kind of like use as a ribbon to tie this present up together here? And I, and I thought, hmm, do you think chapter 13 just came from nowhere? I'm seeing uh, chapter 16, verse 14, that bit about do everything out of love. So you're thinking, this isn't something that just he made up on the fly. Who is Paul? Paul is a Jew. He's actually one of the few faithful Jews. If if believing in the Jewish Messiah... (laughs) changes you from being a Jew. I don't know when that happens. He's a, he's a Jew. And then the, the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, comes to him and says, hey, nobody saw this coming, but it's kind of a mystery. I have redemption and I have reconciliation purchased for not just the Jews, but for everyone. I want you to go and tell everyone that. And so he begins to live a life where he's including other people. It's like he says it's like a branch being grafted into the larger tree. That's the Gentiles. That's, that's most of us. And... Um, And Paul, being a Jew, points us to things that his heritage and now our heritage really uh, is helpful and, and draws us into a richer and a deeper and a meaningful family, the family of God. You can see that in chapter 10, verse 1, when he says, consider our fathers. When I read, consider our fathers who are in the wilderness, when I see that, I'm like, I can say that? Our fathers? He could consider my people, you know, you don't have that much of a history, but we do. We're, we've been faithful this whole time. No, consider our fathers. You've been brought into something deep, something with roots, something that you can, that you can attach yourself to and say that I can be firm and I can be uh, strong and I can be like my fathers. They have a legacy for me to live. Consider our fathers. And as a Jew, uh, Paul would have had many rituals and he would have many prayers and things that he would have done just in his life that were attached to his faith and were attached to the religion to, to help grow and to help learn. One of the things is a statement of faith and a mission statement that was said twice a day. Does anybody know what it is? 
Everyone's whispering, except for me. Uh, yeah, it's, it's the Shema. I mean, every day they would say this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all your strength. You're to talk about this with each other. You're to, you're to walk around and talk about it. You're to go to sleep and talk and press it on your children. Leave this as a legacy for them. Tie it to your hand. Bind this to you as you go and as you move through the life. This is what, this is what I want to be about. I learned things when I was a child that influenced the way that I am now. I still remember the songs that I sang in Sunday school. I still remember the, the, the anecdotes or the, the jokes that my dad used to tell me. I can't escape from it. I am now a very cheesy person because of my dad. And I, I, don't, I love it. I don't know why I love it. I just do. And I can't see this being lost on Paul. For your entire life, this is what you say. This is what we're about. Jesus even said this sums up the whole Torah. He adds to it love. And the natural byproduct is you will love your neighbor as yourself. And so when I wonder about a man who's writing a letter that has much to do with disunity and has much to do with selfishness and pride, I can't help but think in his heart there is a man who says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart. I don't think chapter 13 came out of nothing. <laughs> I could speak with the tongues of men and the tongues of angels, but if I don't have love, I don't have anything. I could speak with prophetic power and have faith to move mountains, but if I don't have love, I don't have anything. I could deliver up my body to be burned and give all of my things away to the poor, but if I have not love, I'm nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not envy, it's not rude, it's not arrogant. Love seeketh not its own, does not rejoice in wrongdoings, but celebrates the truth. Imagine if he could have just said, or in other words, back home we used to say this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I think that the, the Shema might be a way for us to just interpret all of the issues that's going on in Corinth. And as we go and as we walk through it and, and remember things and the nuances to things, this could be the remedy for a lot of the problems. As he said in the end of the book, do all of this out of love. I believe even now, a lot of our disunity and a lot of our problems in the church could be fixed if we had this mission statement. I mean, what if every day, every morning, as a family or as an individual, you say, this is what I'm going to be about. Every night as you go to bed, you say, this is what I'm going to be about. Love the Lord your God. Babies would say, this is their first word. Not mama, not dada. This is what they would say. People would go, and, and as they're going to die, they know they're closing their eyes for the last time. This is the words on their lips. Imagine if we were so consumed with loving God. Would we be so selfish would we be so obsessed with our heroes i follow apollos i follow paul i follow peter so what that's what the world says you you've got heroes i got heroes zeus apollo artemis lebron tom cruise i don't know they've got their they've got heroes 
What's different about you? You're not impressing anyone if we, have, if, if we don't have this. Or, or, or idols. Or eating food or not eating food. Who cares? My dad used to tell me, here's one of those anecdotes. It's not, Dan, don't ask how much do I have to. Ask how much can I? How much do I have to love the Lord? No, how much can I? Can I eat this food? Can I do this? How much can I love the Lord by doing this and by eating this and by living like this? We wouldn't have the selfish problems with the sexuality of chapter 7 and chapter 5. We wouldn't be saying, my body, my sexuality, my life, I'll do whatever I want with whoever I want. It's about me. Because what the Shema does is it teaches us that it's not I am all about him. So Corinth isn't that cutting edge of a church. It's really, it really wasn't that unique. I, that's probably why it's in the Bible. Uh, we all can learn from this. See, Corinth isn't cutting edge. It's, Corinth is really just a reflection of the culture. Be careful of that. Sometimes people in the church think they're doing something new and they're doing something relevant and they're trying to be really helpful, but what it is is just reflecting what the culture is saying needs to happen. Does a Jew ever say, I want to change with the culture? There's like two different people that you can see walking down the street and know that's either a Jew or that's an Amish person, I know. But everyone else, I can't tell who you are. I'm not going to change. I'm going to be who I am. And this is who I will be for the world. Who are, who are we reflecting? The culture. Or are we reflecting the God who we're transfixed with? The God who we love with all of our heart, with all of our soul. Shema for Corinthian church. If this is you, probably sounds something like, Hear, O Israel, love the Lord your God with most of your heart and with none of your mind and probably none of your strength either. And love your neighbor as yourself by uh, telling him you go to church and you should come check it out sometime. Um, because our culture can sometimes uh, infect us. Will you just be a reflection of the culture at the end of the day? Rather, could you be an infection in the culture of someone who who has something deeper? My generation is just stuck being shallow. And I need I need to know that when I consider our fathers, that there's a legacy that goes back thousands of years to people who say, No, I'm gonna love the Lord with all of my heart. And it's worth it. So when we get to chapter 15, and Paul really brings us to the resurrection of the dead, to me it's just... We have resurrection of the dead. 15.19 says, if we don't have that, we're to be pitied most, because we're banking everything on that. I mean, imagine Jesus coming back for 40 days. What's Acts chapter 1 verse 3 say? He proved to them with many different proofs that he was indeed alive. Why? Because if we don't have resurrection, we don't really have anything. We don't have anything to offer anybody else. If we have no resurrection of the dead, let us eat, let us drink, for tomorrow we die. 
He appeared to hundreds of people to say, no, 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 this is real. Not like Lazarus. He's going to die again. This is, this is a resurrection where you're going to live forever. So you can do hard things today. You can hold fast to loving the Lord your God with, with all of your heart, even to your error. How much more does the Shema mean to us now that we have the story, that we have Jesus, that we have that revelation? If you think, man, Dan, I've been in the church for a really long time. I've heard this before. I don't need another lecture on loving the Lord. I don't, I don't think that that's just for me today. Feeling kind of flat, feeling kind of deflated anyways. And I would say our fathers considered this message so important that they said it twice a day to themselves, every day. If you're tired of this message, perhaps you need to hear that. For me, I think the Shema every day, I sometimes don't get past the seventh word. <laughs> Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. It's ours. When I think about that, I can't get over it. He's ours. I can't believe he's ours. Maybe you don't know who he is. Maybe you're not spending any time thinking about who our God is. And the fact that he is ours, the God of Abraham, the covenant God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who, who rescues slaves from Egypt and parts seas and can do impossible things, the God who died to reconcile us with our Father, who brought redemption, brings redemption to his people. He's our God. I never get tired of saying love him because I know who he is. So after the chapter on resurrection, I can see how chapter 16 probably isn't just fluffy and isn't just a, a chapter on credits and, and nothing. So I want to just look at the, uh, the sections. Let's take a look at money, take a look at the people, and, uh, and see what happens. So look at verse 1. In the light of the resurrection, how about the collection for God's people? Do what I told the Galatian church to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside some money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no huge collection needs to be made. I love it. Moving to Jerusalem. There's always a little bit of tension between uh, the original church. The, the, the gospel first came to the Jew and then to the Gentile. There's always a little bit of tension there. And I love that Paul's really spending time trying to, trying to serve the Jewish, the Jewish Christians there in Jerusalem. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> uh, I really love the fact that this is a, a rhythmic life, of give, a, rhythm, a lifestyle of giving. It's not easy. It's like every week, set aside some money. He doesn't say how much. I usually just say, give until it hurts. Could be a penny, <laughs> depending on you. Could be a million dollars, I don't know. Just set aside a sum of money each week. And I think this type of gift isn't like a Band-Aid. It's not something that's just, it's just rip it off and we're dying. Okay, I gave. <laughs> Every week, we get to give. Every week, we get to die to ourselves. Every week, 
We get to look at somebody and say, I'm going to give this to you. It's like coming over to my house before I was married. You would have like, you want dinner? I'll get you like peanut butter and um, banana sandwich and some chips. Uh, it's really banking on the, the quality of conversation rather than the, <laughs> the food, you know. Uh, but now that uh, Chelsea and I are married, it, it's so awesome. I mean, she goes and spends time thinking about what we're going to have each night. And she, she searches on what would be a very good uh, side dish for it. Maybe she takes some chicken and she'll marinate it and let it time with the juice to get inside of there. So when it gets cooked, you just have to like touch it and it just it cuts itself. And you like feel bad because you don't want to finish it, but you feel so good because it's just completing you right now. And this gift... Is isn't just this one-time thing. It's a, it's, a, it's a accumulation of several different things throughout the week happening. Imagine this gift, this, this rhythmic lifestyle of giving where we say, each week, I'm going to sit aside, I don't know how much it's going to be, whatever I can do, and then eventually you give this gift and you say, this marinated chicken, this beautiful, beautiful chicken, this is yours, it cost me. We can do this. It's not easy. It's hard to give. It's hard to give money. Doesn't he know? Doesn't he know that I just lost my job? Doesn't he know? I don't know how, how rent is going to happen tomorrow. Doesn't he know that we're really struggling financially right now? How are we supposed to do this? I love what he says about the uh, Macedonian church in Second Corinthians chapter 8. Let me read it to you. I want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. They gave as much as they were able and beyond their ability. They pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the Lord's service for these people. I read that, I'm like, what? In the midst of a severe trial, extreme poverty, they're welling up with generosity, they're overflowing with joy. What is that? How can you do that? should amaze you that the Macedonian church in a severe trial saw someone else in need. Let it, let it mess with you that they actually said, I'm not the only person hurting right now. Sometimes trusting in God looks like giving when you don't have. And sometimes that's what needs to happen to make him look like he really does have control. <laughs> and to make you realize that you don't. Perhaps the Macedonian church is something like, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father. It's not just a deed. Everyone can do a good deed. How can I, give, can I do a deed that gives people an impression, I have a Father and I have somebody, I have something else going on here. 
I think that's what let your light shine, let your light shine really means. That I have a light in the darkness right now. I'm not the only person that can do a deed, but I've got something in this deed that makes you wonder what's going on there. Just like they did. They had overflowing joy in the midst of their suffering. Because they have a father who has the, the cattle on a thousand hills. They have the father who is able to say, the earth is mine and everything in it. And I will take care of you. And someday you're going to be with me on, after the resurrection. So people who have the resurrection in their heart can do hard things like give money. Let's move forwards. Let's look at some of the individuals in this chapter. Paul. First person that uh, he writes about is himself. And uh, if there's any Pauls in the room, maybe this picture is describing you or who you can be or maybe who the Lord wants you to be next. Look at verse 9. In Ephesus, I'm going to stay here in Ephesus, for a great door of effective work has opened to me. And there are many who oppose me. See, first I thought he's not going to go to Corinth because it's just difficult. Then he says, I want to go and I want to stay with you. Then maybe they thought, oh, he's just dodging us. He wouldn't be dodging him if, it was, <laughs> if he says, there's something difficult that's happening to me right now and I want to stay here. It's not the sentence of somebody who's dodging. Do you think? He's not like, oh, I was just about to take vacation, so I'm not going to go to you. Because that would be too difficult. I'm staying in Ephesus because there are many who oppose me. If there's any Pauls that are being risen up in this community, uh, Paul stays. Paul stays when it's hard. If there's opposition in relationships, if there's something going on that's around you that, that you're feeling like you just want to fly away from right now, Paul stays. Paul digs his heels into the ground and says, I'm going to stay here. I know this is difficult. But I need to be here right now, out of compassion, out of the resurrection that's in my heart, that I'm going to be with the Lord someday. I'm going to stay. It's going to be hard, but I'm going to stay. Maybe that's you. Any Timothys? Sometimes doing hard things for the community and doing hard things for the neighbor looks like going. Timothy goes on foot up and around, and Paul sends a letter over the, the sea. Okay? So the letter that, that Paul writes here is going to land in Corinth just with just enough time for Timothy to see the mushroom cloud. Like he's gonna come in and he's he's gonna be there right when this explodes in this town. I mean, this isn't gonna be an easy letter to take. They actually don't receive much of it. He he has to say in the letter. Don't give Timothy anything to fear. <laughs> he has to say, don't hold him in contempt. Because right now you're probably going to be looking for a Paul lookalike to attack. <laughs> Just when he shows up. I don't know the conversation that they had. Timothy, don't go. You don't have to. Wait for me. I'm going to go. I just need some more time. No. No, Paul. You guys are going to stay. Somebody needs to go to this place because they're hurting. Somebody needs to go. What's the worst that they could do? This is just a rental. 
I have a resurrection in my heart. I'm going to go to a hard place. They may reject me. They may not receive me. But I got to do this. Maybe God's telling you to go to a hard place and do something hard. And I'm going to tell you, the resurrection is waiting. It's like Jim Elliott, right? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to get what he cannot lose. Sometimes um, we got to look like Apollos. Look at him. I urged Apollos to, to go to you, but he decided he didn't want to. He will when he has time. <laughs> or he will when the opportunity presents it to him. I don't know why Paul decided not to go. I don't think anybody died. I just, I'm going to assume that it's the best. I'm going to assume the best out of him because I would like him to assume the best out of me. Um, and I'm just going to say, Paulus waits. Waiting can be very difficult. I hate waiting. Red lights, I got to... I got a thing about red lights. I can't sit here while this light bulb up in the sky commands my life. <laughs> I feel like God's going to be mad at me for sitting at this red light. That's probably why I drive a motorcycle because I don't like traffic jams. I got to go fast and move. I don't like to wait. I don't think anyone in my generation likes to wait. <laughs> Instant everything, right? Apollos is waiting. It reminds me of Moses. Standing on the mountain where God says, listen, you have my blessing to go into the land. I promise you guys, you might as well go do it. I would probably kill you if I went, so I'm just going to stay here. I'm not going to go with you. And Moses says, we'll wait. I don't want to go if you're not going to go. We can wait. It's not easy. Got to pray through waiting sometimes. I remember the first time that somebody actually gave me permission to wait. I was really struggling with if I should go or what I should do and felt a lot of pressure that I needed to do something. And and somebody just came up to me and said, you know, you can just wait. Just take some time. You got to pray through this. Because maybe you don't know. Uh, Dan, my job is, is, is a little finicky right now. I don't know how it's going to work out, and I've been waiting to hear back, and I can't wait any longer. God, are you with me in this? Or I, I, I haven't heard back from the doctors yet, and they said it was only going to be three months. It's been five months, and I'm not getting any better. How am I going to wait? I can't wait any longer like this. God, are you here with me? Or I, uh, I know some of my children, they're just, not, they're just not making good decisions right now. I thought it would be uh, by now that they would come back to you, Lord. And I can't wait. He was waiting for them to move. It's so hard. I can't wait anymore. Reminds me of a psalm. David says, How long, O Lord, will you forgive me? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? Every day my sorrow, I have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look to me and give me an answer, Lord. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I've overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I have fallen. Waiting isn't easy. But Apollos, 
Have courage. Be strong. David says, but I will trust you. I will trust with your unfailing love, for my heart rejoices in your salvation. I'm going to sing to you, for you have been good to me. Sometimes you've got to wait, but you've got to trust the Lord. I love the house of Stephanus. I'm wrapping up soon, I know. I love the house of Stephanus. These guys, I really feel like I would like them. Um, part, of loving, part of loving God and doing hard things is, is laboring alongside of people. They, uh, they have refreshed the heart of Paul, and they have refreshed the hearts of the Corinthians. What's that? Who are these guys who just show up and they're ready to jump in? How do you become so healthy? <laughs> you know that. It's a life with God doesn't always consist of, of, of trial and desert. Like you can't actually come to a place where you say, I am healthy enough that I don't have to take from everyone that's around me. <laughs> I, can, I can become a person that doesn't have to share that glass of water with you. I can actually go get my own and get a refill for you if you want because I know where the water is. God wants that for you. He says, if you come to me with all of your expecta- your major expectations of satisfaction and sufficiency, I will give that to you. I will make you like a watered garden in the desert. I will make you like a tree planted by rivers of water. I have the power to do that. I see too many people, and in my own life, I've struggled too long by putting expectations and needs that I really, truly have onto people who can't do it. I've had times in my life where if I was these guys, I would have showed up at Paul and just been like, please, help me figure this out. But now I've come to realize that the more pressure that I put on God to fulfill all of the deepest, darkest needs in my heart, the more he says, I want to be that for you. I am the only one that actually can do that for you. So day after day, just try it. Just a little bit. Give him a little bit of that expectation and see what happens. And say, Lord, I expect you to fulfill all of my needs. If you say that you'll be that for me. You know what's going to happen is you'll begin to live a life where you come in contact with people and they say, man, you're not taking from me. (laughs) You're actually giving. You refresh my heart. If you know somebody like this, give them a high five or something. He says that they're worth recognizing, they're worth honoring. Give them some money. I don't know. Whatever it is that is honor to you, you can... You can be like this. It's not easy. Do this hard thing for your community and seek that in the Lord. So to end, I just want to encourage you a little bit by saying that this chapter to me has become more than just credits on the end of a movie. This chapter to me has has become something that uh, looks like Paul is just I mean, think about it. If it's not heavy, you don't say things like, if anyone doesn't love the Lord, let him be cursed. If this chapter is just sort of a fluffy thing at the end of a letter, you don't say stuff like that. 
And I think the reason why I'm pushing that is because I want to be a person that spends myself in such a way that wastes myself, that holds my life as cheap in such a way that I need someone to say from start to finish, be strong. I need to hear that. And I want, I want to live in a community and inspire a community that says, we'll give it. We'll give it all. We'll go beyond what we can do. Three times at the end of this letter, Paul says, stand firm. Hang in there. 15, verse 1. I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, that you stand on it. Hold firmly to it. Waves are going to come. Wind is going to come. Rain is going to come. Stand strong. Stand firm. We've got a hope in the future. 1558, at the end, he says, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Be immovable. They're going to tell you that your labor is in vain. You're going to feel like the work that you're doing and the, the, the time that you're spending on each other, doing hard things for each other, is worthless and is pointless. It's not. Stand firm. We've got a hope in the future for resurrection. We've got a hope in a God coming for us. 13, 16 verse 13. Come on, stand firm. Be on your guard. Be courageous. Do everything out of love. This is the cry of somebody who's saying, I know that life is going to be difficult. I know that life in the light of, that loving God with everything that you are might cost you everything that you have. You might have to give up your money. Stand firm. It's going to hurt. You might, but you're just following someone who, though he was rich, became poor for all of our sake so that we might be rich. You're just following someone who, like Stephanus, is saying, I will refresh you. I will be that for you. I will come to you and labor next to you, and I will be the the counselor that is with you. Maybe somebody who, who's coming to you and saying, I will be Apollos who's just going to wait. I know that it's hard, but I'm going to be next to you. We follow a God who says that I will not leave you. I will be with you. I will be with you always. I know what's going to happen next, even though you're waiting. I'm going to be with you. We follow a God who says, I'm like, Timothy's like me. I'm, I went somewhere even though I was going to die, even though I was going to be rejected. I left where I was and I went. I knew it was going to be hard, but sometimes you got to go. Be strong. Be courageous. Hold fast to that guy. Paul is like him. Who stays hanging on the cross? Could have called a thousand angels to his aid, he just stayed. The most difficult time, the sin of the world on his shoulders, he stayed. He stayed right where he was. As difficult as it gets, we've got to do hard things because we follow a, we follow a, a, a leader who, who did hard things. But be courageous and be strong because we have resurrection awaiting us. So let's pray. Let's pray through uh, Romans 8 or something.
I consider the present sufferings of this age not even worth comparing to the future glory. (laughs) Can you believe it? I consider the present sufferings of this age not even worth comparing to the future glory that will be revealed in us. Imagine a God who would give his only son without hesitation. How will he not with him give us everything that we need, all good things? Hang in there. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? It's God. It's God who justifies. Who's going to condemn you? Jesus was, he died and he rose back to life and he is seated at the right end of the Father making intercession for us. Hang in there. That's what he's saying. What can separate us from the love of Christ? Hardships. Hardships. What can separate us? Famine, danger, peril, nakedness, swords. Even if we are being killed all day long, what can separate us? If we're being regarded as sheep led to the slaughter. In all of these things, we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus who loved us. Be convinced of this, that there is nothing, not an angel or demon or or present or past or height or depth that could separate you from him. I believe that, Lord. Give us the courage to be able to be like you and do hard things for this city and for each other.